a starting record. Okay, there you go. All right, here we go, Stan. We, um, you were, you were, you were deferring your November dispatch until after these mighty November eighth elections, <laughs> and here we are, ten full days later, which is to say, almost the majority of uh, the ele- the votes are counted and everything. I mean, it's very exciting that your electoral system. <laughs> Has worked so efficiently that we even know who won ten whole days later. Most of them, not all of them. Or, right? Yeah, there are a few races undecided in the House of Representatives, but uh, we do know that the Republicans uh, will have the majority, but by the the slimmest of margins, um, which have, is going to really hamper them. Have you considered in America adopting a really like fair electoral system like Venezuela has or like some of these other places that have machines and that are hard to cheat and stuff? Or is that just not happening? Everybody's uh, got their own. Well, you know, we were told by these um, people in the 18th century what is is the right. way to that you have to have an electoral college and you have to have right. a Senate that misrepresents the population. Right. And and so, yeah, we, we can't you change have, it. Yeah, it's yeah. a sacred document. So that, that's true. You know, um, so I'm looking on this very, very um, reputable and respected website, Wikipedia, and um, <laughs> I'm looking at the results. So it says the Democrats hold the Senate election. They hold, they hold the Senate. Senate, yeah. Um, they gained one state, Pennsylvania. They right. kept most, and they uh, and the Republicans kept a lot of what they had to. Right. So it um it was uh, or that is now the Senate is is fifty fifty, uh, but the Democrats um can prevail because they the tie-breaking vote is uh, uh, Kamala Harris, a Democrat, the vice president. And we but, trust her to vote Democrat and not Oh, Republican? yeah, yeah. She, okay. yeah, she right. has for two years now. But um, starting uh, in, in the next term next year, um, right now it's the Democrats lead 50 to 49. So um, they have not don't have a net gain of any seats, but there's the runoff le- election that's going to happen. Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. Where you're from. States. Yeah. Yeah. My you're from state. Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> so what can you tell us with your with your <laughs> with your embedded, uh, you know, genetic knowledge of Georgia? What's going to uh, happen there? Well, the main peculiarity about Georgia is um. There may be other another one or two states that have runoff systems. So, um, let's say in 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 this case, you had um, Raphael Warnock, the um, Democratic uh, sitting senator, and Herschel Walker, the uh, football player um, and uh, all around strange guy running for the Republicans, and and then there was the. Um, the libertarian candidate. And so um, Warnock got, I think, uh, 49.4 or 49.6 
50% of the vote, which is not 50%. So in Georgia, you have to win a majority of the votes, no matter how many people are running. Um, so that threw it into uh, a runoff, just uh, uh, Warnock and, and Walker on December 6th. And prospects are pretty good that Warnock will win, and then the Democrats will have a 51 to 49 edge. They will have improved their situation. Uh, and okay, well, good. There you go. Good on you. <laughs> um, and then the House uh, is not as happy of a story. It's it's so much better than it could be. And um, I mean, some of the pundits are saying that um, the Democrats are probably better off having the Republicans gain control by only uh, a margin of three seats or so. They're better off than if the Democrats had held the majority but only had a very few seats because the there's um, kind of a civil war now within the Republican Party. Everybody blaming everybody else for their poor showing uh, the normally um, the uh, now the Senate minority leader for the Republicans, Kevin McCarthy, he would normally he would just automatically be voted in as Speaker of the House, second in line to the presidency uh, in January. But um, they everybody he he's a for one thing a terrible um, legislative leader and uh, pretty much nobody likes him, and so there's going to be a lot of strife um, within, but between the extreme uh, MAGA people and the less extreme okay. MAGA people, because they're almost <laughs> all MAGA people in the in the Republican so, Party uh, now. So the party could really tear itself apart um, over uh, because they're Donald in Trump. power. Right. <laughs> yeah, and as you know. Trump announced that he's a candidate for president again, uh, seeing if he can lose uh, the popular vote a third time. Um, and and he's going to be, you know, he is, you know, demands 100% loyalty from everybody. And so there's just going to be, uh, and, and most of the party doesn't want him anymore because he's, he's uh, such a loser. He lost this election for them by pushing candidates like uh, Walker. And so it it's going to be uh, fun to watch. <laughs> wow. OK, um, so that's a that's an interesting analysis. They might be better off uh, with the Republicans in power. It's, uh, you know, it's interesting. And then um, they won some governorships as well some states two more yes the two net um, net because they lost nevada nevada went republican uh arizona went democrat and two of these micro states no oh but i did have one question about uh congress so this happens in other uh democracies you know like i've been doing a lot of um episodes on pakistan yeah where uh, 
model democracy supported by the U.S. Of course, they have a they have a periodic <laughs> military coup right. every so often in the last about ten years. But yeah. you know what? That's neither here nor there, really, <laughs> is it? Uh, so um, Pakistan, they recently had a thing where like a bunch of people from the ruling party switched sides. Mm. That doesn't happen in the yep. U.S., right? Does that <laughs> does that happen? Or? It it happens once in a while, and um. It, and sometimes it can actually change, um, switch control of a House of Congress, especially the uh, the Senate. There was in the early 2000s uh, a guy named Jim Jeffords, a uh, Republican, switched to the Democratic Party, and that uh, and once again it, the the um, chamber was evenly divided, and that threw control. To the Democrats, um, and, and there have been others um, uh, who have done that, but it's, it's usually just an uh, individual person here or there, and it doesn't make as much difference. Okay, because I just, uh, you know, it seems like a Democratic strategy for winning Republicans over is basically always to just give them everything they want. So <laughs> it's not like a real search for <laughs> traitors but if i was if i was a democrat i would be looking for traitors you know i would be trying to find some traitors some republican traitors <laughs> that we could win yeah. over to our team well yeah and that could uh could very well happen maybe not switching parties but certainly voting um with uh, the democrats are going to vote absolutely as a as a block on anything um and they uh, they're, they're counting on convincing some of these uh, Republicans who are just fed up with Trumpism and and all, all of this nonsense um, uh, get on some. They they won't be revolutionary bills, but they they could actually um, get some things done that way. Right. So you so just uh, OK. So, you know, that that was like um, what happened. So now you're 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 here to talk about the climate and the environment. And so you you actually were really worried about a Republican wave. Um, and what I get from this dispatch that you've done, which is called No Wave, But Plenty of Red Flags. Good, uh, good title. Um, you, is that you're kind of relieved about it? Um you know what? What? What does it mean for the climate on on that end? Yeah. Well, I yeah, I started out this uh, in real time thing in April, saying that if if we're going to have a chance at all to do anything about climate, that we are going to have to um, the, the next two years of um, of political events are going to determine whether we get those 10 years during which the climate emergency has to be addressed pretty radically. Uh, and so the whole time I was looking to this November as a potential turning point where our slide toward authoritarianism would uh, potentially turn into a, a plunge that um, we would have a bunch of uh, mega Republicans winning at the state and federal level and getting positions where they could um, um, take 
an, uh, you know, sees an electoral college uh, victory that uh, goes against the will of voters the way they tried to do in 2020, that they would have enough people in place uh, to do that. Because in, in 2020, it was only a few um, state and even local officials in a few places who stood up and and refused to go along with it. So, uh, oh, yeah. No, just uh, so, you know, the, the a lot of uh, and again, I've been following it ba- basically through our conversations and your writing. But like there's been a lot of manipulation of, you know, districts, so-called gerrymandering um, and and getting their people into these yeah. positions to be the vetters of uh, whether an election was fair. But it, how does it was it just so overwhelming that um that that didn't amount to very much or like how come that didn't amount to very much? Um, yes, they, uh, the Republicans um, for you know, 40 years now have been pushing this uh, gerrymandering that is drawing the lines of individual districts that are represented by a house member in, in such a way that they get it, cram as many Democrats as they can into a few districts, and then they um, they are Republican voters. Then are in the majority, and all of the other ones, um, and they were able to succeed. First of all, because they were um, determined to do it, and um, computational uh, power became so much better that it that today you can pretty much say, okay, if we draw draw the district line down first yeah. street instead of second street, we can pick up a couple more votes. Right. And so and then the other thing that made it easier for them is Democrats are just by residential uh, patterns tend to live more clumped together in in cities. Um, and so, there's kind of a natural gerrymandering, which there um, in the old days you know, with the Voting Rights Act and all, they were supposed to account for that by actually being fairer to um, uh, people of color and so forth and, and and draw the districts accordingly. But now the Republicans can get away with um, gerrymandering uh, in favor of uh, red districts. Uh, with the complete backing of the Supreme Court, who now say, you know, the Voting Rights Act doesn't matter. Uh, so anyway, what apparently um, happened is, uh, unlike previous races where um, the Democrats have had to win uh, the total aggregate number of votes cast in the House, have to win them, win it by like six percentage points to win the same the the majority of the seats because because of gerrymandering but this time uh it, it was weird because the republicans apparently got more um votes uh in the aggregate but um they didn't win and, and they did win more seats um but it was only like 14 of them and so forth and and apparently the the reason was that um places uh, districts that went red were really really red 
and the uh, Democrats um, kept their um, kept within a close range of the Republicans by winning a lot of so-called swing districts that are always a close um, race. And uh, so it wasn't as bad as it uh, could have been. So you cite um, Adam Ayton and Scott Waldman in Scientific American uh, saying basically that they're, uh, the Republicans won't be able to get climate hostile bills passed into law, but they can cause plenty of trouble uh, through their committees. Um, they'll, tr- uh, they're going to try to disrupt implementation. That's a thing the Republicans are really good at, right? Uh, under Obama, right. they can kind of prevent things yeah. that pass from actually happening. Yeah. Um, but uh, but it, they have a limited ability to do some of these things. Right, yeah. If, um, if they had won the kind of whopping majority they had expected, they were even going, you know, they were planning to uh, pull this trick they do periodically uh, and refuse to vote to raise the debt ceiling for the uh, federal oh, yeah. government, yeah. which um, would um, trigger a collapse of the U.S. and they say the the world economies, would, it would be in like another 2008, um, but they would you know, threaten to do it in order to, say, demand um, uh, repeal of the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, uh, um, which is the, the so-called climate bill. Um, and so they, they're. I, I don't think they're going to have any ability to do that now. But there are plenty of other ways that they can uh, to stall things. So there's an interesting thing about because you know, <laughs> on the one hand you've got this relief, and on the other hand you're just like kind of moving the schedule. So you're sort of like, yeah, but yeah. We, we have to worry about 2024 now. Um, and so. It, it, you know, there's this feeling I I get where it's like we're always having to worry. I, I think we've talked about this yeah. before. Like if you have a system where if one side wins, uh, it's a total disaster, and they and yeah. you just keep having elections. Sooner or later, the chance of a disaster becomes 100. percent Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Last time we talked about that. It, are we really going to have to win every election from every single here election on from now until the end of yeah. time? Yeah, which is um, a daunting prospect, but there is a, a tiny bit of uh, hope here. I mean, there really is a, a non-zero chance that the Republican Party is going to collapse. Even some of their um, MACA senators like Josh Hawley are, are saying um this is the end of the Republican Party. We're going to have to you know, burn it to the ground and start over. And so, yeah, like the uh, Whig Party before the Civil War, uh, when the Southern and Northern Whigs couldn't agree on anything, and, and that party just went away. And and that was, uh, and at the same time, the Republican Party at that time the the good party, they, you know, they were able to um, prevail. Um, but we, we certainly can't 
um, assume that that that's uh, yeah. that's going to happen. And with climate, um, it's um, it's really a, a choice of uh, lesser evils because the um, Democrats with full control were uh, only able to get this very weak um, Inflation Reduction Act passed. They still have not passed any. Um, abortion rights were lost under the Democrats. I just <laughs> that's also why like I I, I got to yeah. say this was one of the weirdest things where people were like, you've got to vote Democrat because of abortion rights. And it's yep. like, I'm sorry, but you lost abortion rights under Democrats. What's the. <laughs> Yeah, but see, that was a totally a, a, a judicial branch decision, and there's but no. But didn't they appoint? Didn't the Democrats appoint that last member as a way of? Uh, uh, well, but um, the the uh, so-called Republican justices were already in a, a yeah. super majority, so they right. uh, they have six out of the three votes and. There's uh, there's no redress to their decisions except what is going to happen now and and ha- has is already happening in a number of states where they can uh, pass abortion rights into state law. The Supreme Court decision didn't outlaw abortion, but it just uh, declared that there was no constitutional right to abortion and so and then kansas went out there and yeah fixed it (laughs) yeah yeah and when you know kansas voted down the uh uh, anti-abortion initiative uh by six almost 60 to 40 percent um that that was the point at which people started saying maybe there's not going to be such a a red wave Mm -hmm. And then they forgot about it because of inflation. But it, it turns out I worked, um, Preeti and I worked at the polls on August 2nd for that uh, initiative. And then we did uh, again on November 8th. And uh, both times I um, we witnessed how the people coming in you know this is in a very republican city and republican majority precinct but there were um, a a solid majority of women coming to vote a lot of Mm. young women coming in in ones and twos and threes they were you know a lot of kind of um uh of young men who um my uh guess is were um uh, they they did not look like your typical Republican voter, and <laughs> and, uh, and a, a lot of um, black and um, Latino uh, voters coming in. Um, and, and so I was thinking, okay, maybe something is happening here. I thought in August, and then when I saw the same demographic uh, mm-hmm. this month, I, I even on before they started counting votes, I was encouraged. So. Interesting that before the way you cite a, a federalist editorial um, by some federalist, um, and this is a right wing. It's interesting because they're they're kind of changing their philosophy, or or I guess yeah. being a little more honest about their philosophy because it's not like <laughs> this is 
you know, ever not yeah. been there. But the quote is great because he says, if conservatives want to save the country, uh, they are going to have to rebuild and in a sense refound it. That means getting used to the idea of wielding power, not despising it. Conservatives will have to discard outdated and irrelevant notions about small government. <laughs> yeah, that's a, you know, yeah. Uh, the government will have to become in the hands of conservatives, an instrument of renewal in American life, and in some cases, a blunt instrument indeed. So it's an interesting yeah. um, admission, I guess you could say. Yeah. Uh, it's always been an uh, instrument, uh, a blunt instrument, um, you know, <laughs> like literally clubbing people to death in the case of police, uh, you know, but um, but like what do you what do you 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 know you quoted that why why did you quote that like what do you what do you take out of that admission oh because i was so uh, excited to see uh, one of these people actually uh, admitting uh, yeah. you know, what they're about i had another quote that i um i wasn't able to get in there um by a historian thomas zimmer who was pointing out how the Republicans were taking all of these positions during the campaign that you know, they were going to have a uh, national ban on abortion and and that they were um, going to uh, get rid of Medicare and Social Security and, and so right. forth. And he said, you know, extremely unpopular positions. And he said what that shows is that they – they don't care whether yeah. what they do is popular or not because they're yeah. only about power in their yeah. they uh, want to transform about, the country they yeah. don't want to do what yeah. the people tell them yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. and in uh, mitch mcconnell the uh, republican uh, uh now minority formerly majority leader was you know absolute scorched earth politician not allowing um yeah. obama to uh, appoint supreme court justice and and so forth and then the um republicans in in the house are even crazier and it's true they they have announced that for 20 uh, well actually in 2020 they had no republican platform for the presidential campaign right. it's just whatever uh, they it, want whatever yeah, the yeah. democrats want we're gonna stop them yeah yeah and whatever <laughs> yeah whatever trump wants and the democrats don't and and this you know in 2024 it'll be the same they have no policy positions at, at all and so um I, I was glad to see this guy with the um, federalist society who are responsible for all of these terrible um, Supreme Court justices and judges all through the federal system. They, the Republicans, look to the Federalist Society to um, oh, tell so them. So this who, is one of their brain trusts. Yeah. Who is the most but I mean, fascist? Yeah. You're right that it's exciting in the sense that, you know, this means we maybe don't have to have this stupid big government, small government debate anymore because we're all we're all big government now or whatever um i don't know is, is that a step forward like well it's funny how he he says you know we he, he what what he writes there just assumes that they will succeed in getting yeah. power over the three branches 
of government and uh, and that we uh, will either go down without a fight or or they'll uh, they'll prevail and so um I, I think it's very useful as a warning um and that uh, voters uh, next time around um if all, everybody needs to hear that um statement and say you know this is yeah. uh, what's at stake so um it's funny cuz Stan, you know, I've been working this past month on like finalizing this paper that I, I, I don't have any. I didn't write it with any audience in mind or anything. I was just trying to figure this thing out about like I think I've mentioned it before uh, with you is like whether nonviolence was like a thing that even happened, right. and yeah. I've concluded that it isn't. So you know, in the U.S. South, I've 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 found you know four or five re- relatively recent books where they were talking about all the guns, all the uh, riots, all the yeah. times that black people shot back, the deacons for defense. There were all these um, there was all this violence uh, that was part of the nonviolent struggle um, yeah. in the U.S. And then likewise, with India, there was so many terrorists, so much assassination. There were so many uh, rebellions. Um, yeah. Mutiny. There was a big mutiny in 1946. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Indian National Army during World War II. So there was just a whole lot of uh, violence, you know, happening yeah. during this nonviolent struggle for Indian independence. Yeah. So it was interesting because one of the people that you come across when you're reading about nonviolence and like sort of uh, what I would call almost inaccurate history of nonviolence is actually Eric who's who you cited in your uh, in, your, in your dispatch. So Eric Chenoweth and another uh, oh, author, yeah. Maria Stefan, they have this book called Why Civil Resistance Works. And it's like this database where they code a bunch of uh, struggles, like hundreds of struggles, and they code yeah. some of them as violent and some of them as nonviolent. And they do like a, a logistic regression where they they prove that the probability of success is higher if you're nonviolent than if you're violent. And like mm-hmm. if you're if you're looking at this through like a historical view as opposed to like a quantitative view, and you look at some of the things they call nonviolent. You know, it's like Indian independence, South Africa, you know, the Palestinian Intifada. You're like, well, these are nonviolent. What? Uh, But, you know, um, I just I I just wanted to say that because, uh, you know, I noticed that name. But but you're you're citing like a a kind of an argument that they talk about, like um, Erica Chenoweth and Zoe Marks of the Kennedy School. And they're talking about nonviolent strategies to fight against uh, authoritarianism. So um, talk about that. Talk about that. um, Talk about that idea and how how you think it applies. Well, first, I I haven't seen that uh, other study, but um, that must, um, I would assume that um, they must be taking the position that they're not counting self-defense as uh, 
I'm afraid I'm afraid they do. <laughs> Stan, I'm gonna send you the database because you actually yeah. can do um you you actually can do quantitative oh. stuff. So I, I actually down the database is not easy to get. But I yeah. did use I I taught um, some qu logistic regression using this database, and it was interesting because yeah. uh, some students were like, "Are you sure these are nonviolent?" <laughs> <laughs> a lot of them had a similar reaction. Uh, what they were. Uh, yeah. Well, I, uh, yeah. And I, um, in this uh, article, endorsed um, these kind of recommendations that they have for. Uh, uh, people who are uh, living under an authoritarian um, government yeah. in which they have no power at the polls. Yeah. Um, and I I do believe that this is what you start out with, but you know, when, when you run into state violence, then, um, yeah, then, you know, you've got to have, um, uh, self-defense and um and you know maybe more than that and the problem we have in this country is that not just state violence but these uh, uh, militias and so forth are growing yeah. by yeah i mean that, that's very interesting because in terms of the black uh, struggle in the u.s yeah there was very, very little, almost no like out and out fighting of police. It happened very yeah. rarely. But for the most part, it was like vigilant, white vigilantes yeah. who would show up just to terrorize and murder people. And then they would come to a community at night and, and yeah. mean to kill a bunch of people. And then they would get shot and then they would run away. And it was like. <laughs> I think it was Robert Williams or one of the uh, one of the people who talked about this and they were like, look, you know, I think it was Robert Williams. He was like, you got to understand, like a, a vigilante mob is inherently cowardly. They don't yeah. come to fight. They come to yeah. go and kill people with no consequences. The minute you that's why a small number of people who shoot in the air can scare them off because they didn't come. They came for a good time. They didn't come for yeah. a, a, a real fight. Right. So yeah. uh, whereas, you know, police or whatever, you, you know, they're working themselves up into this kind of like warrior mindset or whatever yeah. it is. So that can be a little bit that's a little bit different. So, uh, yeah, so this is a, this is a huge issue, I think for, for the U S now. And that's, this is why I was like, you know, this is why we kept going back to vehicular homicide. It's like, yeah, right. they, you can't, you can't like outfit your car. Again, the people who are outfitting their car to run people over are not like imagining a two way interaction. They're imagining right. that they're just going to run somebody over and drive yeah. off into the sunset. <laughs> yeah. Um, this cowardly thing um, played out on January 6th because the, the yeah. Proud Boys explicitly and in their discussions beforehand were saying, okay, we're going to get out front, uh, get these uh, uh, 10,000 people worked up. We'll, We'll go, you know, right up to the line and challenge the the cops, uh, and yeah. then we'll let the what they call the normies. We'll, we'll let the normies yes. take over. And yes. sure enough, the guy who struck the first blow was not a proud boy. And and you can 
see in the um in the footage there's some video of the first blow where one of the proud boy leaders um kind of goes up and and talks in this guy's ear and and there he goes he he was kind of a mentally um, unbalanced or unhealthy guy and he uh he goes after the cops the cops beat him and then that gives the proud boys an excuse but even then you don't see the proud boys themselves committing a whole lot of violence and it's all these uh QAnon people and so-called tourists who followed them that then later in the afternoon where there's that really uh, medieval hand-to-hand hit you know attacking with the poles and so forth that uh and people getting killed that was by then the proud boys oath keepers types they had they were gone. They were gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm going to send you this database now. Um, and, but okay. But here's the thing. What I like about what you're doing here and what you're doing in all your um, dispatches is you sort of say this electoral thing is really important, but if it doesn't work out, we're still going to have to do other, we're going to have to look at other things, whether it's local yeah. action or, or disobedience, civil disobedience or whatnot. So, yeah, yeah. I, that's what I, I said here that, uh, Chenoweth and Mark's, um, uh, recommendations for people living under an actual autocracy that it looked like all of that stuff is, would be very valuable to be, doing now before it happens or even you know if it uh, ends up not happening um all right so what's up for december what are we doing how are we going to end the year how are we going to well i i hate to uh, be the bearer of bad news but uh, (laughs) we will not uh i'm not uh Posting anything, City Lights and I decided to skip the holidays and okay. uh, come back in January. Um, we can wow. still talk. I'll, I'll be in uh, India, uh, oh. so we can we can talk anyway. <laughs> let's do that. Let's do a let's do a India thing. It's a great <laughs> idea. You're gonna you're going to Hyderabad or to uh, Bombay, Delhi. where um, Preeti's. Um, uh, family live who we haven't it's been four years um since yeah. we, we've been able to uh, uh see them and, and so okay <laughs> cool yeah maybe maybe we can get preeti on the mic too who knows oh yeah <laughs> start working on her now and we'll see if we can yeah. pull that off <laughs> okay cool <laughs>